0: In 1951, there was a radio drama from NBC that made the jump to television. The police procedural show left the airwaves in 1959, but it came back in 1967, which is probably when a number of you managed to catch it. Any of you remember Dragnet? It was popular, led to parodies, even a film comedy of the same name in 1987. You know, that's probably where people my age more or less learned about Dragnet and in that, sh- in this movie or in the show, you re- you remember the straight-laced detective Joe Friday. He had a t- he's remembered for a tagline that he really actually never said much. Just the facts, ma'am. Don't embellish it. Don't editorialize it. Just say what happened. Just give me the facts. Now, when we come to the Gospel of Mark, we've read Matthew, and Mark feels different. It is much shorter. It is more abrupt. It doesn't have the detail you find in many of the other Gospels. You can almost hear that line out of Joe Friday, just the facts. Because in Mark, that feels like what we're getting, just the facts. And in Mark, you also just kind of get that feeling of... uh, Everything happening all of a sudden, because Mark just keeps saying, immediately, immediately, immediately. Stuff just bang, 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 bang. It's kind of the gospel for ADHD people. <laughs> I just kind of wonder if Mark would have benefited from a little bit of riddling or something. You know, that might have helped the guy. But, but it, it really just feels like as you're getting his account of the life of Christ, you're getting just the facts. Now, some think that, Mar- that Mark may be the first gospel that was written. It's the shortest by far. And when you get into the scholars who talk about such things, who examine the actual texts and compare which one's likely uh, the, the or- you know, more, closer to the original, they say shorter is usually assumed to be earlier because somebody probably embroidered the, lot, the longer one, just added stuff in. You know, sometimes they do have to figure out with with the in the New Testament. Okay, we've got all of these different copies, all these different manuscripts. Which one is it? Because sometimes there'll be a word, a different word used. Sometimes there'll be a little extra stuff. And they'll have to figure out. Okay, which one is it? Of course, it might surprise you to know that uh, there's uh, the that the that we think we're really quite sure we know what the original. Documents of the New Testament were. I'd love to go into it. it's, It's really kind of fascinating stuff. But there's tons of copies of these things out there. And they're able to compare them and look at them and say, okay, this is probably what it was. And they'll even grade themselves on how sure they are. They think Mark may be the first one. And sometimes people say, well, Matthew and Luke, they probably looked at Mark and stole some of his homework. And, I don't know that we have to go that far because Matthew was there for it. He saw it. Luke, I mean, yeah, we know Luke did a lot of research. He may have seen the Gospel of Mark or even talked to Mark. But this fellow Mark probably is a fellow that we meet later on in Acts named John Mark. He's a young man who was around the night Jesus was arrested. He's in a larger group of followers, not in the 12 disciples, but the larger group that followed Jesus around. And when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane that night and they come to arrest Christ, there's a reference to a young man that they grab onto his cloak and the young man just shrugs himself out of it and goes streaking off into the night. And You can hear Bartholomew, don't look, Ethel! We think that was probably him. Later on, would go on a mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. Would aggravate Paul, go and then go on trips with just Barnabas. And it seems as though he wrote his book to a Gentile audience. He's not writing this to Jewish Christians. He's writing them, to, writing it for Gentiles, maybe in Rome, because he doesn't include a lot of the Jewish flavor. If Mark or if Matthew is the Jewish gospel, Mark, very much isn't. He doesn't include genealogy. doesn't include Old Testament references, Jewish customs, things like that. We'll even sometimes use Latin terms in place of Greek ones. It's a very Roman gospel. And we know Mark had a very close relationship with the Apostle Peter. Later on, Paul would patch up that relationship. At one point, he writes and says, Send John Mark to me. He's useful to me. I can use him here while I'm under house arrest in Rome. Which is possibly why Mark wrote his gospel to a Roman audience. Maybe because he was there. Who knows? Could have gone there and Paul could have said, you know, it'd be cool if somebody would actually write all this stuff down about Jesus. And Mark would be like, I can do that. Could have been. In the Gospel of Mark, though, we see Jesus as the suffering servant of God. Every time we see Jesus, he's serving, he's doing things. But on top of that, nobody understands Jesus. He's misunderstood. He is the man of mystery. In the Gospel of Mark, the international man of mystery is not Austin Powers. It is Jesus of Nazareth. Because people see him, he's doing things, he's doing things they've never seen or heard of people doing stuff like this, and they just don't get it. And to be honest, the disciples in most of the Gospels are not really candidates to join Mensa, to put it mildly. They don't seem like the brightest bunch around. You get into the Gospel of Mark, 30 IQ points right off the top for the disciples, in Mark, the, the disciples, are, they look as though they are the dumbest people on the planet Earth. They just never get anything. Here they are running around with Jesus, doing stuff with Jesus. They don't understand Jesus at all. And I think people can't figure out what he's doing. It's, he's not fitting into any of their mental cubby holes. They all, you know, that's how a lot of times we, we, we deal with people. You know, we, we just have these little slots in our mind, and we just kind of, you know, okay. Oh, Phil, he's the preacher. He goes into the preacher slot. We expect him to be like a preacher. And, you know, within a few standard deviations, more or less, he might. <laughs> Weird sense of humor for a preacher, but then, <laughs> you all don't know many preachers, do you? <laughs> <clears throat> you know, we deal with people like that. And people had a mental slot for Messiah or for rabbi or teacher. And Jesus didn't really fit easily in any of them. Every time they think they had him figured out, he'd go and do something else. And they didn't understand. So all throughout the Gospel of Mark, people are looking at Jesus and they're coming away confused. And you can just see them with that question mark over their heads. Oh, we don't know what's going on. Like that's really how it feels. And only in retrospect do they ever put things together. And I, I want to say, you know, let's go a little easy on some of these uh, people from the Gospels because we've got a little help they don't have. Number one, we're not looking at this as it happened. We don't have the mental baggage they had when all this was going on. And we also get to cheat. The form of our cheating is the name of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Living in us, guiding us to truth, helping us to see how all this goes together. They didn't have the Spirit of God. Later on, when uh, you know, the disciples get into Acts, I, the difference in the disciples between the Gospels and the book of Acts. I, mean, I could make a meme of this one. I mean, about half a dozen of you are gonna get it. You know, you got the big old muscled, you know, gospel, you know d- disciples in the, in the book of Acts. And then little cheems, dog, you know, disciples in the Gospels. You know, just clueless, stupid, useless. That's, that's almost how it is. And the difference, friends, is in the Holy Spirit. You take the Spirit away from us, and we're going to be pretty clueless, too. Well, what we see in Mark is Jesus serves. Throughout the first 10 chapters of Mark, we see Jesus serving God, going, through, going among the people, doing God's work. And you get to chapter 9, and it really spells out that Jesus is God's chosen servant. This is the transfiguration. After, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. All throughout history, God has used people, any number of notable Bible figures that with their faith in God's power, they played tremendous roles in God's plan. God used them to do great things. And here at the Transfiguration, two of these notable servants are there with Christ. There's Jesus standing next to Moses and Elijah. And Moses, he's the great leader of the people. He gave the law, led the people out of Egypt to the promised land. And then you have Elijah. He had a legendary reputation. He faced off against Ahab and Jezebel, brought forth tremendous acts of God's power. He was the host of the greatest revival of all time. And sometimes, you know, talk about revivals, things like that. Hey, he got to call fire down out of heaven after publicly mocking an idol for hours. I mean, here's the prophets of Baal trying to call fire down out of heaven, slashing themselves, and Elijah's just sitting there. I mean, Elijah was a little sarcastic. Maybe he's sleeping. Oh, he's probably in the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, no, he's on vacation. Cry harder. Then he gets up, says, it's my turn. Soak down the altar, altar with water. Says, God, a little bit of fire would be nice. Boom, out of heaven. And then they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. I mean, that's how you know you got a good revival going. People talk about revivals. We had five baptisms. Yeah, how many prophets of Baal did you kill? Give me that old-time religion It's good enough for me. <laughs> I mean, here's Jesus with these two legendary figures. And Jesus' glory is shown. He says his clothes are white, whiter than you could ever bleach them. Clorox, sit down, you can't do it. His true nature and righteousness is visible. And then Peter opens his mouth. Man, that that yeah, you, you just see where that's going. So many times in the gospel, and then Peter opens his mouth. Yeah, yeah I I I got I, I want to cut Peter some slack. You know, no no Holy Spirit. You know, he's she's trying the best he can. He's got some guts, but he's just missing a little understanding. Jesus, this is awesome. We should like build three huts, and all three of you can be here, and you know, we'll sell tickets and concessions. It says he's terrified, you know, he can't think straight. He's showing a lack of understanding. He he's thinking, Jesus can stand with these legends of Jewish history. You know, they got their pedestals of you know heroes of the faith. And he's like, wow, Jesus can be right up there with them. It sounds like a compliment. It's not. I what would you think? You know, you got your brand new Mercedes. Your neighbor comes over, looks at it. He's like, wow, this is as nice as my Hyundai. (coughs) Really, dude? (laughs) Whole different level here we're talking about. And that's kind of what they're trying to get across to Peter and to James, and to John, and to the rest. Wow, Jesus, we can build, a, build three tents, and you know, all of you can stay here, and you know, the voice from heaven, wow, Jesus, we can build three tents. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peter! God sets him straight. says, Jesus is the one. Who matters. It's not Moses anymore. It's not Elijah. It's not that Jesus is on the same level as these guys. Jesus is the Son of God. He is not being equated with these historical figures. He is being shown to be greater than these historical figures. With Jesus at hand, no other is necessary, Peter. Get with the program. But we see Jesus serving doing great things for people. And God says he's, he's a servant of God, but not just a servant of God. He is God's son. But even as he does all this service, even as he does, does these things, he sets an example of service. You see, again, the disciples just don't get it. Later on, they're having a little discussion and Peter and James are like, well, we were up there with Jesus. <laughs> we're special. We're going to sit at his right and left hand when he takes over. Yeah, Bartholomew, you'll be there too, but you'll be like level two. We're in first class. And Jesus sets him straight. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was not not ever making demands based on his position. He could have come in, I'm king of kings, I'm lord of lords, I'm the son of God. You need some angels? Boom, there's an army of them. What you think? (coughs) Serve me, peons. Could have done that. Never did. He could have come in and said, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, I'm going to start my work with Herod. And with Pilate and with Caesar, I'm working with the kings here and it'll filter down. I'm with the celebrities. But no, he did his work among the lepers and the people of low status and no status. He is serving people with no concern given to their place, and these, his disciples were arguing over status again, they didn 't get it, and Jesus, to point out to them, inverts the ladder. you know we talk about oh you've got to climb the ladder, you want greater status and Jesus says, "Greatness is not from being served. Greatness is found in serving. You see the disciples they had their uh mental boxes. And all of their lives, they always thought the great people are the ones with the servants. And we see that today. Do you really think that guys like Jeff Bezos carry his own uh, bags when he gets on the plane? You You think he's walking through security in the slow lane? No. He has people to do that for him as he gets onto the private jet. The people with the status have a lot of folks looking after them, serving them, taking care of them. And yet here's Jesus with the greatest status that possessed by anyone who's ever set foot on this earth, and he is serving. Serving even to the utmost. He's going to show this even at the cost of his own life. And these disciples, they're not really clear on these concepts being taught because Jesus is drawing people to something so radically different from the human norm. If you're great, you get served. And Jesus says, no, if you're great, you serve. Why did Jesus come? Mark is showing us he came to serve God by serving his people. And this, sacrifice, this service came at great cost. The last six chapters of Mark detail the sufferings of Christ. That last week before the crucifixion, there's great opposition, great betrayal, but yet Jesus submitted to it willingly. He has been the servant and now he becomes the suffering servant. And we see that willingness to do that in his trial before Pilate here in chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And, the chief pri- and he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things and a Pilate again ans- asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Here's the leaders. They're trying to railroad Jesus. They can't kill him themselves. They need the Romans to do it. So they have to go before Pilate. And there, in that trial, Jesus doesn't mount even the slightest defense. Time and again throughout his ministry, Jesus had people coming up to him trying to trip him up, to trap him, to get the best of him in a conversation. You ever had that feeling when you like in the shower and you remember a discussion like that or an argument you had like a couple of weeks ago and you're like, that's what I should have said. Because you knew you didn't come off on top and you just needed that right, right term to say. You think, I see some smiles out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus never had that moment. He always won. He always had the right thing to say. He always got the best of these scoffers who'd come up to him, and yet, here in front of Pilate, now he can't? That seems odd. I don't think the question is can't, or the answer is can't. He didn't do it because he couldn't. He didn't do it because he wouldn't. They have all these accusations, and this is one of those examples in in Mark where you're getting no details out of Mark. You know, Mark was not wasting ink on adjectives. What were the accusations? Oh, there were a bunch. That's what Mark tells us. You get into Luke or John, they tell you what the accusations were. Mark, oh, there were a lot. Moving on. You know, that's that abrupt field of the gospel. And Jesus doesn't answer them. He just lets it happen. And Pilate's amazed because he's used to guys coming in there and they have an explanation for everything. Uh, You ever deal with uh, uh, folks who've been, you know, charged with a crime or convicted of a crime? They they've got all kinds of explanations. Every now and, then, in, now and then in ministry, I get real interesting letters, not necessarily to me personally. They're just sending it out to a bunch of people, and I, I know I've got a real treat coming when the return address is one of the Missouri Correctional Centers. This one that I have, and I kept this one, it's like 20 pages long. Because this fellow is telling, you know, is telling his tale of woe about how the prosecutor, the judge, and the Freemasons all were in league with Satan to make him have desires with these children. Oh yeah, this one's weird. Wasn't his fault. He had all kinds of things in there. I mean, he was drawing arcane symbols in there. I mean, right, this is quality ranting, folks, from a messed up mind. <laughs> This is not any garden variety, you know, mental illness. This is heavy duty stuff. Everybody's got a story to tell, but Jesus said nothing. And it surprised Pilate. And I, Pilate was surprised because he also didn't understand what was going on. Jesus' mission had reached its culminating point. He had come not to win discussions, but to die. You see why we can't understand Jesus? Why they didn't really get him? Because he didn't come to do do things that we normally consider great. He came to be killed. He was to be the sacrifice for sin. God's servant was to be the suffering servant, the sacrificial servant. So it's hard for humans to get our minds around that, because that's not what we do. This is why Jesus came to earth, not just to teach, not just to heal, but to serve to the fullest, to offer his own life, the innocent for the guilty. He who had no sin in place of the sinners, so that the guilty might receive mercy. (coughs) That's completely out of what we're used to. I mean, yes, we will offer ourselves up as a sacrifice to save our friends. A parent will not think twice to lay themselves down to save the children. That's normal for us. But to do it for a stranger? For someone you don't know? For someone you may not even like? And it's later written, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, we were not the friends of God when Jesus died for us. We were not his people when he died for us. We were rebels. We were sinners. We were those who had, who had done what God said not to do. There was nothing, nothing that would give God any reason to save us. Forget who said it, I don't remember if it was Spurgeon or somebody like that. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And the man ain't wrong, doesn't mean we like it, but he's not wrong. Yes, we might offer ourselves for our friends or our loved ones. Would we do it for a felon from a maximum security correctional center? For someone on death row who we knew had done it. Would we do that? I don't think so. And that's why we don't understand Jesus. It's why the disciples didn't get it. It's why the people around him didn't get it. Because God is doing something so gracious, so amazing, that it just didn't compute. No wonder Jesus is the man of mystery. Only God could do this. Only God would do this. Throughout this gospel we see Jesus came to serve and he went to a lot of trouble to send his son also his also Jesus could live a life of service and die a death of service and that's what Mark watched day by day saw Jesus serving doing things at every point Jesus is here for us friends these are the eyewitness facts that Jesus came to serve and to suffer so we could be reconciled to God that we poor sinners could become the children of God. And he brings us this account so we could understand this and follow Jesus. Nobody got it at the time. But later on, oh, is that what it was? Mark wants us to believe in the Son of God. Because if we refuse him, if we remain hard-hearted, his service will do us no good. We remain in our rebellion against him. But he came to serve, to be our sacrifice, and in accepting him and following him, we receive the benefit of that service, his forgiveness, his eternal life. All of his righteousness, God imputes to us. We get credit for what Jesus did because he paid the penalty that belonged to us. We have eyewitnesses, we know the facts, now do we act on them? Are we going to go from here serving the Christ who has served us to the utmost? Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you that you are so gracious, so, so wonderful, so loving, that you would do all this Just to redeem some worthless sinners. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to follow. Help us to understand. Help us to be like your son. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.